The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. As a lot of us have found over the years, you know, we're, what we once we dig into the practice, it's really going in many different ways against the cultural stream. And it's not easy to purposefully, as a human being, choose to become more awake, more sensitive, right? And purposefully meeting like what we're sensitive to with kindness. I want to talk today about this sort of beautiful balance, this tipping point where the heart, the mind is really aware, not afraid of patient waiting for the right moment, but not afraid of action and engagement. That's in a way how we know we're capable of being skillful in the moment because we don't feel identified, like I have to do something. And we're not, we've teased out, we've honestly looked at all the ways we're afraid of action, engagement, sticking our neck out, right? And that's the only way we can find ourselves, get to that place, that nimble balance point where the mind is really sensitive, really alert, curious, and which requires some humility and able to really show up in all the ordinary moments of like just having a conversation with a friend and all the much more challenging places we find ourselves. Like how do we respond to some of the suffering we see around us? when it can initially seem really, I mean, it is, it can be really complex. Right? The Sort of the tangle of how things come to be. So it's very appropriate that at times the response of the heart, I know this isn't good, what's going on in my family, or I see this even in my own life, like I see some habit energies getting some momentum that I don't consider very wholesome, but I don't know my way out, but I can really find myself, I can get myself to this tipping point where when my mind has some clarity, there's a real sense of like I'm going to do what needs to be done. But when I know that I don't know how to take care of myself, then I remain sensitive and alert and patient, but really ready to act. And it's the same with like our family situations or relationships with a good friend or a partner, as well as the bigger issues in our world, the different ways that oppression and suffering happen in our world. So we don't want to let ourselves off of the hook. And it's a really interesting and dynamic place, the sensitivity, where we not, we're not allowing the heart to imagine like, we want to touch peace, but touching peace doesn't mean that there isn't anything that needs to be done. It just means the peace really helps to sense, to have more clarity about what needs to be said, what needs to be done, what doesn't need to be said, what action isn't helpful, right? So that, that sort of stillness, the peace, the quiet, the silence, you know, we often associate with meditation practice is in the service 
of living a more full, fully engaged, responsive, compassionate life. It isn't meant to be an end, and this is like a really confused thing, I think, in some Buddhist circles, that somehow our ideal, our aspiration, is to kind of be in this sort of perfect little meditation space with our perfect shawls and our perfect chairs or cushions, gazing out at the perfect meditative garden with just the right kind of birds chirping just the right kind of way and no mechanical sound anywhere, you know, and no electronic device. That ideal or that aspiration is what I think in sort of in terms of early Buddhism would be considered idealistic. Or I've been saying, a lot of you have heard me say, get me the heck out of here. Like the world's messy, my life's complicated, relationships don't work, my body's getting older, you know. uh, I don't really want to acknowledge all the different ways I'm complicit in other beings suffering. So just get me out of here. Get me to my still place, my quiet place, or get me to heaven, or get me to some transcendent place where I'll be finally free of the responsibilities of showing up when it's so complex and so messy. And sometimes even when we do show up, all we're doing is bringing a little bit more kindness as things get worse, right? Because that sometimes we can't turn it around. Whether, you know, whatever we're talking about, our own habit or the problems in someone, with someone we love, sometimes our showing up is just bringing a little kindness in a really difficult place. And sometimes we can really change the course and really affect the well-being of many people. But remember, our showing up isn't about you know, we, we do care about the effects, but the showing up is a natural movement of the heart. When the heart is in that nimble place, not afraid of being quiet, not afraid of action, right? But really the response comes out of the clarity of the mind, the um, compassion of the mind that sees a possible opportunity to alleviate my own or other suffering. And so there's a movement into action. All along, awareness is sort of, because we never have arrogant certainty that what I'm about to say or what I'm doing is really effective. We just see that window seems probabilistically a good enough chance that my intentions, my motivation seems good, trustworthy, right? Because uh, I came across an article, I think it was in uh, one of the newsletters, I'm not sure who the person is, but she was quoting a famous Martin Luther King line. There comes a time, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. Right, so this, this is the point of really having that balanced place because that's when we sense that restraint or refraining from engagement is a kind of betrayal. 
like where we've got identified with the silence or the stillness or the relative, you know, protection of non-engagement, like we're into sort of being the witness and we don't want to kind of ruin it by being engaged. Because engagement is always messy in our relationships, in the wider world, even in our own life, in our own heart, like trying something new. Because we often, you know, how it is when we try to change a habit, we two steps forward, two steps back. There can be a pushback. The mind is slippery in that way. You know, habits have momentum. They have their own integrity or, um, I forget what the word is, like a coherence. I mean, there's something, even though we always say habit energies are impersonal, it's not really me, whatever, my greedy habit energy or my wholesome habit energies, but they have a real intelligence to them. They've, been, they've come about through causes and conditions, right? And they're connected, they're tied in, like everything is, to everything else, this interdependent world we live in. So it can seem like, oh, what's the point? I mean, how many times in the last week, let alone the la- today, have we had some version of the thought, it isn't worth it, it's too much, it's too complex, I give up, I resign myself, the slow slide to, you know, letting. But I think a lot of that, you know, human beings, we're not afraid of doing stuff, clearly. I mean, just look at civilization. All of that has come through human effort, you know. Not a, bit, a lot of it not so help, helpful, but still, there it is. Humans are not afraid of work. But what we're afraid of is spinning our wheels and not helping the problem or maybe even amplifying the problem, right? So we, it tends to, like distraction, isolation, resignation, it can appear to make more and more sense. But when we really look at our life, like those times we felt really alive, relatively free, uh, you know, that enlivened quality, awake, you know, there's a joy in learning, even if there's a lot of mistakes in the learning. I mean, when we look back at our life, resignation never feels good. You know, giving up, we never highlight the, oh yeah, that was that period of time where I gave up, I spent a lot of time on the couch watching Star Trek Next Generation, which I liked, I'm not <laughs> putting it down. But you know, where we, we catch yourself, like it's not about, you know, the quality of the writing of the book or the TV series. It's like we don't really want to be in our life. And this is a convenient way to disappear or sleeping too much or eating too much or, you know, whatever, however we acted out that strategy of get me the heck out of here. I don't really want to have this more wholehearted, engaged, presence, because I just get spun around, right? But the spinning around, because our, what we've um, failed, I think, a lot of the times to catch is our engagement is missing this feedback mechanism that we call mindful awareness. Because a lot of the times, the only way we've motivated ourselves into action, to doing something, saying something, 
is we imagine we know what we're doing. Right? We get really, we pretend that we're really certain. I need to say this to this person. I need, these people are wrong. They, and so we're not moving into action, thought, words, action, with humility, with mindful awareness. We're moving into action with certainty. And so then if our, you know, like why would we imagine that our initial impulse to say this or do that would be exactly what the moment needs, right? And so we often then do naturally get pushback because it was a little off or a lot off. But if we had gone in with, same things, moving into the same action but with a lot of humility, so we're adapting and adjusting because we're humble, because we're sensitive, mindfully aware, as we begin to speak, we adapt and adjust based on what we're sensing, what we're feeling, what we're seeing internally, externally, right? So that's sort of uh, you know, interesting, like in our intimate relationships, or those of you who are parents, in your interaction with your children, or in our activists, you know, how we try to make the world a better place, Imagine that kind of emphasis on awareness and humility as opposed to certainty. But still, with the engagement and like what that might look like. And we might start, what might come to mind are role models. Like, oh, that's why that person, I felt so like inspired by them because they did have that balance, right? So they're not, we're not losing the balance balance of alertness and it's kind of like this sense of of staying in that balanced place like sometimes when we're arrogantly certain we have this unspoken agenda that okay I'm willingly giving up my balanced presence and I'm going to get in that messy world and I'm going to act and then I'll resurface somewhere down the road and I'll take a look at what my action you know, has set in motion, and then I'll sort of reconfigure what's skillful and unskillful, and then I'll dive back in. So we have that kind of attitude that there's no way to be in, in the mess, in the engagement, in the interaction, and that humility of mindful awareness. But it... And it might be that there are that sort of come and going, but it can happen more often where we're lost in the action, not aware, and then resurface for a moment. Oh, it feels like this. It looks like this. Right? We touch into what the last few weeks have been calling the moral sensitivity or just a kind of a moral, ethical, and spiritual smell test. Like, what is it? Given I've been relating, acting, speaking in this way, what kind of reverberations am I feeling here in my body, in my heart? Does it feel good? Does it feel clean or light? Or does it feel heavy? Is there a lot of regret or a lot of confusion? I was talking to one of our leaders here about this famous interaction between Achan Cha one of the, the great uh, Thai forest Ajahn's teachers, a uh, Buddhist monk who's been very influential in the Buddhist 
teachings, early Buddhism coming here to the West. And his teacher, Ajahn Man, a very famous person in the last couple of centuries, he was born maybe right at the end of the 1800s and uh, in the 1920s, 30s, uh, maybe into the 40s, he was quite well known in Thailand and really started uh, sort of this reformation back to um, the original teachings of the Buddha in a lot of the Thai Buddhist communities. But it's interesting how influential this very short interaction between Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Mun, because Ajahn Chah, who had done a lot of practice at that point, but he was feeling confused by all the sort of rules that govern a monk's life. There's like 227 rules to live by. And it's confusing, you know, and they're basically a lot around not harming to the nth degree, like how to live a life of simplicity and renunciation and non-harming. And uh, Ajahn Man really clarified it. He gave him this very simple response. Well, when you're in doubt, when you're not clear, then don't do anything. And that's like, like really being willing to be in that, be in that balance point that really nimble, alive, humble, clear, compassionate balance point. And really, I'm happy to be here until in a moment a little pathway opens up. Oh, I could say this. Now, in that moment, the mind is just imagining something I could say or do, right? But the morally sensitive heart, in a sense, can taste just that imagining. I'm going to imagine, oh, I'll say this to Carol, or I'll do this with my wife. or. And then the, even that imagining is a moral act, right? Thinking is an act, meaning it has consequences. We'll feel what it feels to have that thought of saying that to my partner. And then we'll get a little smell test, like, well, what does that feel like? And so when the, the result is, oh, it feels pretty clean, it feels pretty good. It feels like it has the vibration of healing, like moving in the right direction. It feels enlivening. Something will be opening up. So then we take the next step, right? The heart follows. In each moment, as it takes the next step, it's doing the same smell test, right? Because we're really, it's not like action versus sensitivity. We're really bringing mindfulness, that sensitivity of mindfulness, in. And this is a, this is sort of changes because our normal way of engagement is we rely on certainty to give us false courage. But now we're replacing the, the sort of false courage of certainty, pretending that we're certain that we're right or we're certain that I have to do this with a more soft power of sensitivity. Like I really care about being skillful so I'm going to sustain this humility and emphasize the sensitivity even as I raise my voice and speak truth to power or you know, do something that's hard to do. And it's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. I learned this to some degree uh, back in the 80s. I was an elementary school teacher in the mid-80s and uh, especially when I started working with older children, sixth, sixth graders, you know, when they can, I mean, they can really um, 
they have the cognitive social skills to see exactly how to hurt adults <laughs> and not with fists, <laughs> right? Like with words, because they, they sense, they, they kind of get, they, know, they, they start having radar for insecurity, for example, right? And uh, yeah, so it was really interesting. Like I, you know, I came in, I, of course, care about the kids and really want to be a good teacher and understand that they're just sort of working their way, finding their way. Yeah, but when they get to those raw spots, then you just want to hurt them. <laughs> or you just want to at least show them you're more powerful than they are, right? Because you don't feel safe. I mean, in a funny sort of way, you don't feel safe. So it's like really interesting to have like learn. I mean, it took a long time, of course, how to be really engaged. Because clearly, if you're not engaged, you're just, it's all over, right? You have to show up or they're going to totally run the show, and that's not good for anybody. But, and you're going to make, I, I made a lot of mistakes, right, where I pretended I was certain, and I kind of held that ground. And of course, that's a very brittle, you know, and sort of two steps forward, one step back. There's a lot of consequence for that, because there's a lot of weakness in that. But sensitivity and softness is surprisingly powerful especially when you really trust it. Like you get the same confidence, it's just not brittle. It's because it's soft, because I'm not afraid to feel what I'm feeling, like what anybody might trigger. We have a spy in the room. <laughs> a younger person who will take this back to the middle school and junior high. And but it's true for all ages, right? When we can be in the middle of that turmoil where a lot is happening and we're not afraid to feel what we feel, you know, and the insecurity that we feel and the wanting to be liked and the wanting to get it right and, you know, wanting to do the right thing. When we can be aware, like that's essential feedback. We need to feel everything. So any moment where my mind is clinging to being right interrupts the sensitivity. So we really have to make a choice. Am I willing, Am I? do I want, aspire to be a sensitive, like growing roots into each moment so that we can really be there, right? Or do I want this sort of superficial sense of safety, the safety of being right, of having the answer and a lot of times we're afraid of that exposure, totally understandable, because it means we feel so much. I mean, who wants to feel humiliation and insecurity and not being good enough? But if we're not willing to feel that, then we're vulnerable. Like, then we're vulnerable for the truth of that to be brought in. So then we start living a lie. It's kind of like, you know, and they were saying about you know politics like when the you know russians or whatever know some secrets of our politician well then they can exploit that and it's true just in the general vibe like whatever we're not willing to be honest about in terms of what we're feeling then it really skews how we can be skillful in the moment we can't be skillful unless everything's on the table, we're seeing it, feeling it, 
And then there's a possibility of being skillful. And it takes, I think, you know, I feel like as a practitioner, I'm still on my way of learning to see that. Like another example in our intimate relationships. I mean, this is a lesson we learn the hard way. Because like in our intimate relationships, it's very uh, common, like even with a friendship, but those of you who are like in a marriage or something where you're living with someone and sharing your life with someone, it seems to help to have the idea that this is a dependable, the sort of harmony we have or the whatever this is, that it's stable. But to kind of be sensitive to the reality that anything could happen, right? as you continue in your relationship, like what is the healthier way to have an intimate relationship or a good friendship? Knowing that it could change, knowing that everything that it's built on is a dynamic process. It isn't done changing, evolving. right? And it may seem scary to consider that this may change. Same thing with our relationship with our body. The heart's beating now, but someday, you know, or the breath is coming in, going out now, but someday, is it, do we take care of our body better knowing the uncertainty of the body? Do we take care of our relationships better knowing the uncertainty of our friendships and our lovers? and and those relationships. And I think this is really part of being a a moral being, a sensitive being, uh, engaged and responsive being, somebody who's actually contributing to our own well-being and the well-being of others, is this emphasis on sensitivity as opposed to being bright. And that's why with the five precepts, undertaking the training, not to kill, not to harm other living beings, undertaking the training, the study of refraining from taking what hasn't been given. I mean, any one of them we could, could be a theme for practice forever. Undertaking the training to refrain from sexual misconduct, being a sexual being in ways that harm others. Undertaking the training to refrain from words, from speech, that cause harm. Now, I don't know if there's any way to be a speaking being without causing pain, right? So clearly, the precept, this fourth precept, can't, because then you would think, oh, just not talking, that would be the ticket. But that's why that quote from Martin Luther King is so important, where silence, really learning when silence, non-action, not speaking, is a terrible cause for harm. Because it's probably just as often as when we do speak and cause harm. That we cause harm to ourselves and others because we're not saying what needs to be said in the moment. Right? And then the fifth is undertaking the training to refrain from intoxicating the mind in ways that make us careless. Right? And there's different ways, right? Each of us, we have our own intoxicants that we gravitate toward where basically we're numbing out, whether it's the common one through alcohol or drugs. But there are other ways we numb out through media or through who knows what, just because 
we don't value sensitivity. We think that numbing out is safer or is going to deliver happiness in a way, but it never does. When we really observe anybody who's taken that path of numbing out, I remember this powerful teaching from uh, Tony Packer, a wonderful teacher. She was uh, in upstate New York, started out in the Zen tradition, but just kind of moved as into a more just, I think she referred herself as an awareness teacher, but a really powerful teacher. But she has this wonderful throwaway line, nobody consciously chooses numbness. Right? Nobody consciously, we find ourselves in that habit of closing down, not paying attention. But if we really saw where we were, where we were heading all the way along, we wouldn't consciously choose to be numb to be closed down, to be careless, to be unaware. Because the only way we can be numb or unaware is we have to shut ourselves off from our life. I mean, we can't uh, sort of choose a particular place and say no to that particular place in our life. If we say no, we're saying no to the moment, to life. I mean, there's a way to turn away but we can turn away from something knowing that it's over there and that it felt skillful to turn away. So we're not pretending it's not there. We're just understanding that it's skillful to bring this to mind, to be aware of this, and know that this is in the periphery. That's not the same as numbness. Numbness is really wanting to forget it's over there. And... Skillfulness is knowing that, yeah, not now. I don't have the balance to be with that painful, difficult, whatever, now. But someday I aspire to be intimate with that. But not now. I don't, I don't have the balance. I don't have the stability. I don't have the fearlessness. So I'll turn to this. Right? That's called being skillful. And we need to do that in different ways in our lives. And our friends can help us. Right? They can say, you know, doesn't seem to be helpful. Why don't we go take a walk? Why don't we, you know, maybe you should move out from this relationship. Or maybe you should take a vacation from this engagement, this activism, right? Really put it down. Go feel the sunshine on your skin or go hike in the mountains. And then we might be able to come back with more balance and really be able to be you know, show up and respond from that place of intimacy the next time around. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.